You are listening to Beyond the Verse, a Star Citizen podcast. A show dedicated to Cloud Imperium games, Star Citizen and Squadron 42. Whether you fight, explore, unite, and or trade, we bring you news, updates, interviews, reviews, and analysis. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a pour of Radagast, and join us as we go Beyond the Verse. Launch sequence activated. Hello, friends, and welcome to Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen podcast. I'm your host, Solus, and on today's episode, we are looking back at 2953, 2023, and evaluating this year in Star Citizen. There is a lot of releases dating all the way back to patch 318, all the way forward to CitizenCon and even this latest 322 patch. So a lot to discuss Um, on the agenda. We're going to be watching the two-minute video that Star Citizen created and published for this exact purpose. Then we'll get into uh, some of their social media posts that call out more data. And if you know anything about me, data is where it's at. It's what drives me, and I'm always super excited to see Uh, the different uh, points of interest that a company can pull out of some of these numbers. And then we'll end by going through the jump point. Uh, It's like 20 pages, it'll go somewhat quick, but like 20 pages of the latest jump point in December that discuss exactly this, the what happened and what released in 2023 or 2953. But first, we're going to get into our community highlights, some questions uh, and answers and polls, org night uh, from last week and last night uh, after a quick word from our sponsors. Welcome back. (laughs) All righty. So let's go back to org night one. So this is about a week ago. Um, We asked at the end of that podcast, Uh, we asked about of the three new derelict sites on Microtech, because if you recall, we we traveled and explored Microtech, um, what has been your favorite star mapped location, right? So that's Harper's Point, Aster's Clearing, and Dunborough. Literally 100% chose Harper's Point. And honestly, rightfully so it it is that gorgeous location with the tall trees and the lake in the center uh it's got the say balcony that's not right um it's got the long uh like bridge with the npcs it's just a beautiful beautiful oh and the river too like from the lake there's like a river going through the mountains so really everything that you could possibly imagine on Microtech is right there in that one location. And I think we talked about it in the last episode, but this is where you would want to house your 890 jump loop or your Phoenix loop um, where you log in and you kind of exist in this area. So um, ironically or coincidentally, 100% of you chose Harper's Point. Later that day, we also released episode 38, which was Luminalia, the after action review of Luminalia. Um, And we asked the question, Let us know your thoughts on leaks and the content creator responsibility when these leaks happen. We had a response from Dakota Riley, one of our consistent listeners. Again, thank you so much for responding to most, if not all, of the Q&As and the polls. Um, But Dakota Riley responds back with, 
Leaks can be exciting when it's data mined from files in a game or hidden content on a website, but hacks and then the disgruntled employees anecdote uh, posting content is bad for dev teams and shouldn't be condoned. So 100% in agreement with you there. Um, I think you know we didn't really get a lot of negative uh, feedback from from our what ten minute montage of of leaks, and honestly, it kind of died away um, after the episode, and so really nothing uh, hung around or hanged around, hung around, nothing hung around uh, that that permeated you know social media or is worth continuing to discuss. But I'm glad we addressed it. I'm glad that you, as a listener, know where at least we stand. Uh, we will never, you know, waver on that thought process. Going over to episode 38's polls, uh, we asked, what is your favorite segment of this podcast? Uh, and it, again, 100% of you said that the Luminalia after action review kind of recapping the 12 days, um, what we experienced, 100% of you thought that was the best aspect to that episode. So from a Q&A perspective, from a poll perspective, there we go. We are done with that already. Um, let's talk the holiday season. Just again, before we get into the after uh, after action review, before we get into the year in review portion of this podcast, I would love to know what each of you got for your holiday, You know, whether you celebrate Christmas or not, um, whatever you were gifted. Um, I was I was blessed. I was blessed in receiving what you see on my right, think screen left. Um, I was blessed with my own copy or my own set of VKB uh, premium joysticks. So thanks to my wife, obviously really do appreciate it. A little bit of clarification. So during org nights, I had made a couple of comments and like half half the group um, thought I already had these. So let me just let me just clarify. Anytime I've ever played on a friend's set or I've gone to a convention to play with, uh, you know, the joysticks, they were always VKBs. So my recommendation, what I am comfortable with is based off of those experiences. I've never actually owned a, a set of VKBs. So when I say that I've played or I play on VKBs, it's really my only experience. Um, and then fast forward. I did have Thrustmaster and Verbal reach out. Hopefully, we can secure um, a couple of demos. Obviously, I'm going to send those back. I'm not going to not going to keep them unless they tell me I can. Um, <laughs> but we will we'll test those out, uh, fair and balanced, unbiased, um, and see how those work. But this episode is not brought to you by VKB. They are not sponsors of this show. But let me just tell you how much of a game changer these controllers are. So on the left hand, I did end up going with the Omni Throttle. On the right hand, just your typical, they call it a space combat joystick. Uh, but the premium editions of both, so there's a couple of extra gun configurations or button configurations. Uh, but these are incredible. And honestly, the learning curve is not that bad. I want to encourage you and kind of remove maybe that stigma that you're going to have to climb out of this learning curve, kind of like the Toby Eye Tracker. I will say the Toby Eye Tracker gets or it takes some getting used to. That is legit. Um, you're not used to it unless you are in virtual reality and you own one of those Oculus headsets or what have you. Um, you're just not used to moving your head and the screen moving with you. There's something natural 
about the joystick maneuvering, right? The dexterity it takes to move your left hand and right hand. It is very natural. Um, so again, I want to encourage you that 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 should not be the reason why you you are slow to pull the trigger. <laughs> Sorry for the pun. Um, you should get these because of the immersion. Now, another caveat, I'm less accurate. I don't know how you can possibly be like a meta um, content creator who creates videos on the best setups uh, for in-game you know, configuration and think that you're gonna continue playing on joysticks. Now you've gotta be very, very, uh, now that is a learning curve. You gotta be very good at maneuvering the joysticks to match the accuracy of a mouse, right? Like my mouse and keyboard skills on point. I can fly with the best of them. I'm extremely good at maneuvering. And again, the accuracy that you can, uh, that you can move the mouse. And like my mouse has like a sniper button. So, you know, if you get close to your target, you hit that sniper button and it slows uh, the sensitivity or it lowers the sensitivity extremely low. So you can get that nice, precise shot. So I am much more accurate. <laughs> I've learned this in the last couple of days. I'm much more accurate with the mouse and keyboard, but this is worth getting used to. Uh, you see the boxes on my right. I'm not going to do some, you know, video maneuvering for those of you on YouTube on showing you my setup. Um, but right now they are sitting on top of my desk. So my birthday is coming up. <laughs> I might be pursuing um, like the Monster Tech mounts to at least get them mounted on the desk. I don't necessarily want them on the chair. There's something about, um, I also work on my work laptop, kind of on this uh, desk to my right, screen left. So I don't like necessarily the idea of like turning, working, uh, being able to hit those, those joysticks. So I want to desk mount them to my gaming setup or my gaming rig. Um, that'd be the one thing. They're weighted really nicely where you could, like right out of the box, you could teach yourself and learn, you know, the joysticks. You don't have to necessarily anchor them down. Again, the weight is good enough where you could get some, you know, elbow grease in there and, and, and uh, not feel like you're going to topple them over. But in the heat of aerial combat, I'll speak for myself. Um, several times <laughs> I, I have gone way too far too fast and they will topple over and that of course will throw you off your game so consider mounting it in some way shape or form whether it's on the desk or on the chair i'm going to be pursuing monster tech even though they are kind of probably more on the expensive side but they are tried and true i have a lot of friends in the content creator space that use monster tech and they swear by it so i'm going to take them up on that <laughs> um so again i highly recommend the VKB controllers, it actually helps with the Toby eye tracker because you kind of get into this leaning aesthetic, right? So as you throttle forward and you strafe to the left and right or you roll, your body kind of naturally moves in that direction. It's like riding a motorcycle for those of you who have your license um, or hell, even if you don't, guilty of that. <laughs> um, it, it, you're kind of leaning into it anyways. So it's natural for your head to move. And that Toby eye tracker has become more natural for me um, to the point where now all, all I, ha I have it on every time that I fly. So it's a great combination if you're willing to put in the money for it. So there you go.
Um, I think this is a really good time to kind of transition into the purpose of this podcast. And again, just a reminder, we are going through the year in review. First, the two minute video for those of you on YouTube. I'm gonna try to like keep up with the subtitles it's it's a lot <laughs> so i'm gonna try my best to just kind of read off what it says but we will be covering these items uh in the next couple of minutes so the two minute video straight into um the twitter or x posts and then we'll wrap it up with the jump point article of of this year in review so let me go ahead and fire up the video I have continuously learned my lesson to pull it off of YouTube. So here we go. Let me uh, share my screen and then we will go through this uh, together. Here we go. Twenty twenty three year in review. New features. Resistant Entity Streaming, Gen 12 Graphics, Personal Cargo Containers, Soft Death, Arena Commander Rework, 12 New Racetracks, Mining Enhancements, Loreville, Arena Commander Experimental Mode, Salvaging, Cargo System Refactor, Component Salvage, Physicalized Cargo, Vehicle Tractor Beams, New Player Hair, New Locations. I think I'm doing okay. Sand Cave, Secrets of Daymore, 15 New Derelict Settlements, Seraphim Station, uh, new missions goes way too fast. <laughs> There's no way I can keep up with that. The new ships, the Santok Yai, uh, the C1 series, the Cutter series. I'm failing. I have failed. <laughs> we did get the Pyro 4.0 preview channel. Awesome. Now they're showing Bar Citizens and the community events, which is awesome. And then it ends on uh, the video of the conductor that we saw in the Future of Gaming video. Hello. So they're showing us Citizen Con now. That was so much fun, guys. So much fun. Thank you for the memories in 2023. See you in 2024. And it ends with Chris Roberts basically crying uh, at the end of Citizen Con. So absolutely worth watching the video yourself. I thought I could keep up with it, but yeah. Um, rehearsal doesn't go well uh, compared to live. Rehearsal went very well compared to live. So yeah, you know, the end of Citizen Kind, um, that's, I'm really glad they ended that video with that because it shows the passion um, of the project lead. And this is not a fluff moment for Chris Roberts. I'm not white knighting. Um, it's just when you're a content creator for such a huge project and you're backing it passionately and, you know, again, we try to, we try to talk about both sides of the fence. Um, you go through the emotions with everybody else, right? You go through the same emotions as the developers, as other content creators, the gaming community. Um, and I think, I think in that moment that we saw Chris Roberts tearing up and getting emotional, um, I think we all kind of relate. Maybe we're not all tearing up, maybe we're not all emotional, but I think we can relate to the overall emotions. This has been a crazy year in general, like for any game, and I've been doing this, I've been doing content creation for about eight years now. 
Um, I think we've said this before many times. Uh, so for eight active years, six podcasting for four different games, um, this has been the busiest production year that I have ever seen. And so going back to patch 318, where persistent entity streaming began, you know, its infant stages, um, all the way to 322, it's incredible what they have been able to accomplish, which drives me crazy. And I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this again. It, it drives me crazy when I read and you're, you're entitled to your opinion. Like I'm not, this is never going to be a podcast that like diminishes people's opinions, but it drives me crazy when I read comments like, no, this game's still an alpha, man, it, it's a, it's a Ponzi scheme or what are some of the other nonsense like a scam right it's a scam game man this is the most expensive scam i've ever witnessed if that's the case like they're putting in a lot of work <laughs> they're producing a lot of new stuff for us if this truly is a scam i don't know um unpopular opinion maybe <laughs> let's get into the tweets zeets x comment i don't know we still need to figure that out guys what are we saying is it is it tweet zeet X comments. Here we go. So on a December 28th, Star Citizen, uh, first off, sent us an email, which I guess I could pull out the email, but you're going to see all the metrics here anyways. Uh, but there was an email that had an infographic, which speaks to the core of my soul. Uh, love everything about it. But they ended up uh, transferring that onto Twitter. Um, and they said in the post, you can now see on the screen for YouTube, only four days left of the year. Let's take a moment to reflect on some unique data that occurred over 2953 for the next four days. And we do speak about today. So today's Saturday the 30th. We do discuss what was sent today as well. Let us know what surprises you the most from this infographic. The data rep uh, represented was between January and November. So not including December data. So here we go. The top five star citizen player regions. Number one, USA. Number two, Germany. Number three, France. Number four, the UK. And number five, Canada. Doesn't surprise me. That basically aligns with what I know from Amazon Game Studios. That's pretty typical when it comes to the video gaming industry, maybe the influence of each region. So. USA, Germany, France, UK, Canada. Most popular destinations in the verse based on hours spent visiting. Now this one did kind of surprise me. 30% into Microtech, 25% R-Corp, 23% Crusader, and 22% Hurston. Now, here's what's surprising to me. Microtech does not surprise me. It's the most beautiful location. The derelict sites are amazing. It's like you have the like all four seasons essentially on one planet. Um, when we get into IAE and Luminalia, it's very Christmassy. So like Microtech makes sense to me. It's also the one location IAE takes place. IAE is always on Microtech. So I have a feeling Microtech will always kind of be this winner in that sense. So put that aside. R Corp. I don't know why R Corp 
um, is 25% of the hours spent visiting. That blows my mind because I, I, I feel like that is the least amount of progress in this game up to this point within this year. So they did some work on the atmospheric clouds. They're more dense, like that's all beautiful, but the city didn't change, right? The city didn't get a makeover. Uh, as far as I know, the planets, like the satellite moons around ArtCorp um, didn't get much of a facelift either. Of all the locations, ArtCorp saw the least amount. You know, Crusader has Seraphim Station. That was brand new. We got rid of Port Olisar. We put in Seraphim Station. So I thought Crusader would get a huge bump. Um, not to mention, it's still probably one of the most advanced systems to play in, right? The the um, the asteroid ring around Yella, Grim Hacks, um, Daymar. You got all the hidden sites, the racing sites on Daymar. So Crusader was a shocker to me. And then Hurston they reworked all of Lorville. If you, if you remember that, like all of Lur, Lorville, Lurville, whatever, sound redneck just a, a second there. Lorville got an entire rework. Um, that that blows my mind. Like, I don't think the satellite moon's got a facelift or anything, uh, but I figured Art Corp would have been last with a close second, like a tie between Crusader and Hurston. So that to me actually is surprising. Moving on, the most popular ships in the verse based on hours flown. Number one, the Drake Vulture. Number two, the Drake Cutlass Black. Number three, the Misk Prospector. Number four, the Aegis Avenger Titan. Number five, the Drake Corsair. Honestly, no surprises there either. The Drake Vulture, uh, that was the introduction of the salvage mission, mission loop uh, that we saw earlier in the year, obviously. But the Drake Vulture is a, it's a complete game loop it's i mean it's a complete game loop it's got a obviously a bed it's got the cargo in the back um you can complete the entire salvaging mission solo in this one ship it looks great feels great easy to fly salvaging in and of itself has been an amazing success as a game loop um, very satisfying very fulfilling so that doesn't surprise me and honestly a lot of the new paints um were rolled out for the Drake Vulture. We saw some during Luminalia, obviously the best in show paints for Drake Vulture because it was one of the final four. So uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. It also has a very unique like ladder system. Um, you can go in the back garage. Obviously that's kind of how I default get into the Vulture. Uh, but if you go to the pilot side, which was at starboard, yeah, port is left, starboard is right. So actually the port side, and I might get that backwards, I don't know. Um, <laughs> if you go in the pilot side, you can go up the ladder, and that's just a unique experience. You go up the ladder, you're actually on one of the arms of the Vulture, and you go in uh, into the cockpit. So I don't disagree with the Drake Vulture being a top, um, a top hour-flown ship. Number two, the Drake Cutlass Black. That doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, it's one of the best. I'm still going to call it a starter ship. I know people debate with me. It's $110-ish uh, for that starter pack, but it's the best starting ship. Let's not call it a starter ship. Let's call it a starting ship. <laughs> if you're going to upgrade your starter ship, get the Cutlass Black as soon as possible. It, it to this day, continues to be a very, very phenomenal flying experience. It does everything. 
you know, cargo, you can put a mule in the back, right? So for cargo missions, um, you can put vehicles in the back. Honestly, the blue and the red versions of the Cutlass um, are phenomenal as well. The Cutlass Red continues to be one of the best drop ships in the game with two medical beds. Um, the Cutlass is a great series. All right, number three, the Misk Prospector. That's the mining doesn't surprise me mining is a phenomenal loop as well basically the vulture but for mining had some issues <laughs> with the uh the bags falling off and not respawning uh d-rock my brother uh in the game um experienced this many times so i think there's been some buggy issues with the prospector that have maybe turned some off uh the aegis avenger titan which is number four kind of for me correlates with the drake cutlass black the avenger titan is like your starter ship and then once you get used to it once you get into the verse and you realize you need more ship to do things you usually upgrade the avenger titan to the drake cutlass black that's a very common upgrade loop number five though it, it continues to surprise me so the drake corsair i know that got best in show okay roger we can fight all day long about why or how the asymmetry of the ship, I think, is a unique, like you have to have the palette or the appetite for an asymmetric ship. A lot of people love it. It's very Star Wars in that sense. There's a lot of asymmetry in Star Wars ships. Um, it just, I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily know why this is winning out so much. It has a lot of front-end firepower, so it's great for bounty hunting. Okay, fair. Um, but I, I tend to always have issues with, you know, the three wings, um, raising them and lowering them, trying to get into tight spots, landing. There always seems to be an issue with the wings. Once you get in the air, okay, great. That's, that's awesome. Um, I'm just missing, like, why is that number five? And at like $200, I think it's actually more than $200. It's a very expensive ship on this lineup. I think the Drake Vulture and the Prospector are just over 100. The Cutlass Black is just over 100. The Avenger Titan, it's your starter ship, so I think that's 50, 60. Uh, but the Corsair is like 250, if I'm not mistaken. So based on hours flown, that's that's surprising to me uh, for hours flown, right? Um, last for this post, the most popular armor purchased. So. This makes a lot of sense to me. The, um, the combination looks ugly as heck. <laughs> uh, so the picture, just real quick, the helmet. So the Orc uh, Mark X, the ORC Mark X helmet, uh, specifically the Singularity model. Then the backpack, the CSP-68 Mike backpack. Then you got the core, the woodland core of the ADP Mark IV. And then the undersuit, the stone skin undersuit. Um, the numbers here, whatever. Um, I mean, I guess it's interesting, but <laughs> the most popular armor purchased, the stone skin undersuit was 1.2 million armor purchased. That's pretty crazy. The backpack, 604.6K. And then you've got a very close tie with the Singularity Helmet at 355.6K and then the Core at 366.3K. So the numbers are, are pretty interesting. It makes sense that your undersuit and your backpack, as those are kind of universal, those would be your higher numbers. But the Helmet and the Core, that's an interesting combination. Again, the, the, the picture that I'm looking at is ugly as hell. 
<laughs> I would never combine all of these. But if we go to the uniform of Soul Provision, so our organization, we use the uh, the ORC Mark X gear, just straight up from top to bottom. Uh, but the Nightfire colors, because that that just it's a beautiful color combination. Um, I also don't see the arms. They left the arms out of the most popular armor purchased. That's interesting. Um, anyways, back to the back to my comment. Um, so the stone skin looks the best underneath that outfit, um, as it does. It kind of has the highlights, the red veins that are stitched throughout. Looks really good on on the undersuit. So I think that's pretty um, pretty common. Which, by the way, I'm also noticing they don't have legs on her either. So no arms, no legs. Wow, my ADD is super high right now. Going back to the comments, um, the stone skin understuit look undersuit looks great um really underneath anything and then we were using the csp 68 mike backpack um, i think it's the most volume for a medium backpack however we discovered um well what's it called the sinkhole we discovered the sinkhole backpack that's only available out of grim hex which looks sick with the night fire colors so there you have it <laughs> it's a beautiful beautiful armor set so we're pretty close to being aligned with the most popular armor purchased with a couple of nuances a couple of differences here so all right let's go to day two so that was the 28th the next one's the 29th quote today we're highlighting this year's deadliest in the verse from ships weapons and even citizens who's planning to make it on this leaderboard next year um, I usually don't give clout to uh, to other players on this podcast, like unless you're a guest or whatever. Um, I think I don't know. For, I I think because I'm not necessarily sure who they are, um, if they represent the brand well, like they might be total um, issues in the community, or or they might not want their name plastered um, or spoken into a podcast. So I'm not gonna get into who the top citizens were. We'll at least get into their numbers, and I hope that kind of makes sense. So here we go. The top five deadliest ships based on number of kills per ship. You got the Drake Corsair at 6.2 mil, the RSI Constellation Andromeda, interesting at 4.4 mil the drake cutlass black at 3.7 mil the scorpius at 3.6 mil and then the anvil f8c lightning at about three mil couple of interesting call outs here so the drake corsair again it's not the ship that shocks me it's the price tag so I know it was a subscribership at some point, and because it was best in show, I think, you had access to it uh, basically all a Q4, I think. So the numbers sort of make sense, it sort of adds up, uh, but that's still like a $250 ship. You would think it wouldn't be as common um, as some of these other ships, but 6.2 mil, I mean, that is the majority easily the majority that's two million more than the number two spot 
so that 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 number is pretty absurd to me now again like i said it has a lot of front end firepower the maneuverability is not as nimble as i would like like that's why i like i like the scorpius i like the lightning um i like having that heavy fighter that is very nimble and agile um so i don't think i would subscribe to the drake corsair but clearly <laughs> clearly it is a fan favorite the Constellation Andromeda, I don't know if I have any strong opinions there. Um, it is a really good, so I know at least the, the what did I have first? I had the Aquila first, but you're missing a lot of firepower because of the satellite uh, replaces the top turret. So I can't really say the Aquila, but the Phoenix has a really, really, really good solo capability for bounty hunting. And that's basically because you can see your target before they can see you and your two or three missiles you're going to fire can take out most bounties before they even know you're there. And then once you do get their attention, it takes them a while to get to you, which at that point you're just firing repeaters at them. So it is a very good ship. Once you get outnumbered though, I mean, you're pretty much done soloing. So you've got to keep your distance. You've got to keep, you know, some sort of maneuverability. Um, so I don't necessarily disagree. I think it's a great ship. I would put the 600i up there as well for the same conversation, though. You see them before they see you. Missiles away. You can usually take out the enemy very quickly before they see you. Um, and the 600i is just a sexy ship. It needs the rework. Absolutely needs the rework. But I would put the 600i kind of in the same row as the Andromeda. Number three, the Drake Cutlass Black. Again, I think this makes the most sense. It's what most people um, say evolve, I guess, uh, upgrade to as their their main starter, starting ship. <laughs> uh, so the 3.7 mil makes total sense. The Scorpius, okay, here we go. The Scorpius is a two-seater, right? You get somebody um, in the co-pilot and they virtually control a movable turret. And when I say movable, it's usually on top, but then if you hit S, you can actually move it, uh, and it, it follows a track. It's actually really awesome, but the turret follows a track, and it goes to the back and underneath, so you have access to behind you and underneath you as well. One second while I cough. Excuse me. So I have done, and this is before the FHC Lightning, I have done most of my solo combat with the Scorpius and have been perfectly fine from the Pirate Swarm to um, the Vandal Swarm, right, to get getting those, the badges and uh, very high risk target certifications like the Scorpius was my ship. And then whenever I had one or two other people with me, um, I would throw somebody in the cockpit and we were unstoppable, right? The Scorpius would literally shred through anything. And it has the cool, like, Star Wars X-Wing aesthetic. So I still, to this day, will recommend, you know, people asked, in fact, in Org Night, I was asked, like, what is the best heavy fighter? Like, would you rather spend money on a heavy fighter and solo it or a medium fighter that can hold two or three people? Honestly, the Scorpius is great all around. That and the Hurricane. So the Anvil Hurricane is also a very, very good uh, option as well. But here is the shocker, number five, the Anvil F8C Lightning. And I do wanna give, there's an org member of ours, Stillworker Beast. Um, I wanna give him credit for kind of shining light on this first. Um, but the Anvil F8C Lightning, that came out like mid-year. 
later, later than mid-year, and it has 3 million kills. Like, I, I don't know how to put that in words, um, but it's statistically amazing, right? You take out an entire half year worth of data, right? Take an entire half year, we'll say at the very least, an entire half year worth of data, get rid of it. This ship is number five on the list for most kills. That's crazy. Now, it was very obtainable during the ticket event. A lot of people were able to get their hands uh, on the FHC Lightning, but nothing makes sense. Like, okay, even in that two or three weeks or whatever that time frame was, I still can't imagine it made up the difference in that in that one season. Um, but this is my go-to ship. This is my go-to fighter. It's a heavy fighter. It's a solo heavy fighter, which is somewhat rare uh, in the verse. Like the Scorpius is a two-seater. Hurricane's a two-seater. This is a solo heavy fighter, and it's my everyday uh, for fighting and mercenary missions. So bounty hunting mercenary. Um, in my exploration, honestly, I explore in this as well because you never know what you're going to get into. <laughs> um, so when I check out new sites or I get you know into recon missions, um, the F8C Lightning is more than likely what I would what I would fly. It just amazes me that that is up there at three million after having such little time in the verse. Most lethal weapons, the P4 AR rifle at 35.1 mil, the FS9 uh, light machine gun, 31.8 mil, the C54 submachine gun at 11.1 mil, the P8SC submachine gun at 11 mil, and then the custodian submachine gun at 10.3 mil. I don't know if I have a lot of like response to that. Um, I default to P4 AR, and that's mainly because uh, most enemy carry the P4, so you can pick up more ammunition, and um, you know you know that the size two scope and the uh, the muzzle flash can transfer onto your own. So, like I default to P4 because that's what the enemy has. Many times I will go into a mercenary mission with just a pistol, like a Coda pistol, take out one or two individuals, and I will already have access to way much, way more ammunition than I'll need. Two or three P4 AR rifles, and I'm good to go. So, I have a lot of experience with the P4 AR rifle and then the number four P8SC submachine gun. The P8SC is a phenomenal rifle as well, our submachine gun. So, I'm in agreement. Like, I absolutely believe that the P4 AR rifle is more than likely one of the best um, go-to. And then, of course, I have the Coda on my on my hip at all times. So, an assault provision, standard operating procedures, if you will, no matter if you're flying, no matter what role you are doing in the verse, you have a coda on your side at all times, just because that is basically a one shot, one kill, especially if you're close. Um, you, you take out anybody with one shot. It's a phenomenal side piece. So there we go. Let's get into day's post, and then we will wrap up with the jump point uh, little piece here. Okay, so this morning, let's read the post. <clears throat> Excuse me. Citizens found no shortage of ways to occupy their time in the verse, whether confiscating drugs, bounty hunting, or tracking the fastest lap on the tracks. Uh, good going to this uh, citizen for being the fastest racer in the verse this year. Here we go. 
So these are basically the races, right? Arena Commander, top three modes. Number one, Elimination. Number two, Duel. Number three, Pirate Swarm. Pirate Swarm, again, makes sense. A lot of people want their uh, Pirate Gladius and their Pirate, uh, Pirate Caterpillar, right? So that's the way you unlock them. The fastest race completed in the Persistent Universe, the racetrack was Snake Pit by a player name in 35.74 seconds. Holy crud. That is that is fast. And if you haven't raced yet, go give that a try, and that 35.74 seconds will astound you. That's amazing. Good work. Bounty missions completed. 6.7 million bounty missions completed. Here we go. 1 billion... 916,857,705 units of maize sold during Jumptown. <laughs> okay, so 1.9 billion units of maize sold during Jumptown. That's, that's an insane number. Insane number. Salvaging contracts completed, 699,076. And then UEC earned from selling RMC, so the salvaging material that you scrape off of holes, 389.4 million UEC. So I don't know if you're like me and you like numbers, but just it, it puts things uh, it puts things in perspective. Another way of saying it, like it puts a coefficient in front of a variable. Right, so when you're comparing X, Y, Z, putting a coefficient like a number next to it, it adds weight. It adds that compare and contrast value. And so when you see like mining um, money or the the UEC earned from RMC, like so, here's a really good one. Take the UEC from any game loop and compare them. Right, and that's how people are going to come up with their meta loops and how to make the most money in five minutes. Like I, I'm not playing the game to make a million credits in ten minutes. Like I will never look at your content if that's what you create. Not as a negative. It's just that's not me. Uh, so I don't necessarily care about that piece. But I love looking at the two to talk about a value of time. So if I have two hours of an org night, and again, as the org leader, I'm kind of looking at this, if we're done with our mission within an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes, what do we want to spend the last 45 minutes on? Well, having these coefficients, like who needs the most money, well, let's get into a hammerhead and knock out some, some bounty hunting, right? Or let's get into a reclaimer and salvage two or three vehicles. Um, it helps with that decision making, right? It helps with a lot of those. Um, I'm just going to go back and say the compare and contrast values. So I love the numbers. If you've been listening or watching this podcast, it's what I do in every event. Like I, again, I just, I live for the data mining in this way. Not so much about the leaks from like last episode, but I love getting into the data uh, when it comes to, when it comes to this piece. And real quick, before we get into the jump point, I do want to take a couple of seconds. We talked about units of maze sold during jump town. If you haven't done so already, last night's org night uh, as a bonus episode is available for, for you now. You can go and look at the uh, episode list and it's going to be ON02 for org night, ON02 and it's called org night jump town. 
it is an amazing two hours worth of content. There was 10 of us from Soul Provision. This is not a recruiting call to get you into Soul Provision, um, but it's more of a uh, it's more of an anecdote of how awesome this game can be with friends. But earlier that day, so earlier on Thursday, I got into an eclipse, put it into stealth mode, and ran some reconnaissance around uh, where the jump point was going to be, right? So every morning, 10 a.m., we get a new site that lasts for 15 hours. I was able to determine or discover that it was Raven's Roost on Microtech. So I get into my eclipse, I put uh, I put it into stealth mode, and I literally fly. It takes me quite a while because I'm not going beyond you know its recommended SCM. So I'll get really close, or I got really close, parked it on the mountains behind Jump Town, and just observed. And in that moment, I'm going to pull in my military experience here. But in that moment, I started writing an operation order. Right, so three or four pages worth of data, right? Um, light and weather, right? We knew that on site, it was going to be very hard to see. The observations or fields of fire were going to be disruptive. Uh, there was snowstorms, a black ash storm. I don't know what the hell that was on, uh, on Microtech, but you're either blocked by a bunch of white snow or black clouds. So we knew the visibility was going to be bad. Avenues of approach, you know, key terrain features. Every military veteran listening to this podcast are probably going through hopefully good memories, um, but some bad probably. But I did an entire operation order all the way down to right service support, and so our command is signal right. <clears throat> um, later, so I wrote it. I published it on our Discord for only those who had signed up, and we got in, and. I'm not going to go through the entire night. Go listen to it. But part of the pieces you'll miss, um, because this is preparing for it, you know, we're sitting around Port Tressler as our rally point. We're getting everybody together. And one of our mates, uh, Groza, phenomenal individual, by the way, great videos. Go check him out on, on socials. Um, he, he makes the recommendation, you know, hey, on my A2, are you good with me stacking a fury, a ballista? I think there's like several other items that he threw on there as well. And like, yeah, I had spent probably two or three hours on my operation order, but 12 years of military experience. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, right? You're not hurting the mission. Do whatever you want to do. More assets on the ground. Beautiful. And we okayed it, right? We blessed off on it. That ended up being our saving grace. Right. Such an amazing story. Um, but one of the first moments. So we came in contact when we first arrived at Jump Town and he drops the Blista a click out, a thousand meters out. Actually, I'm pretty sure it was 10 clicks out because he wanted to be safe and not show up on radar. So it took a while for that ballista to get into position, but they parked it right around the mountains surrounding Jump Town, and it protected us throughout the entire night, right? Blew up an, uh, an enemy A2, took out some of the extra missiles. Groza got into his fury and was able to leave the A2. Beautiful video, by the way, go check it out. But he leaves the A2, he backs up out of it, flies up and takes out the enemy A2 uh, by blowing up the A2's bomb, uh, and that bomb blowing up actually took out the back end of the A2 and the A2 blew up. Just a really awesome story. Uh, but there was, again, 10 of us. I was pulling reconnaissance surveillance. We had sorties flying, right? Counterclockwise formation um, around pulling security. We had a dead zone established. Um, and the 10 of us took over Jump Town and held it for two hours. 
I I don't uh, I don't know like maybe maybe raids in World of Warcraft or Elder Scrolls Online like that takes coordination I guess but this this is a different level of of coordination it was amazing to experience and and if we have people streaming it i i don't stream i i don't see the value in that i'd rather be focused on the community right and the community being the org focused on the interactions focused on the strategy i don't really want to be entertaining while i'm while i'm doing all this which is why i have a podcast our main reason why i have a podcast so you can't watch it on on what i do but still wicker beast groza there's a couple of others that stream org nights or you can join us at the end of the podcast i'll tell you how to um star citizen is better with friends i can't say it enough join an org might not be soul provision join an org okay Let's fire up Jump Town. Give me a couple of seconds here. Boom, boom. Sharing my screen for those of you on YouTube. And I'm pretty sure I said Jump Town. I meant Jump Point. So here we go. This is issue 1106, the 11th year, 6th edition. Um, this was the December Jump Point. I almost said Jump Town again. Um, this has a really good, first off, here's the table of contents. Star Citizen a year in verse, that's what we'll be covering. But this also covers behind the scenes Drake Cutter series, Living Lux with Molly. That is kind of a, a lore piece, if you will. And then the portfolio Rough and Ready, that is also a lore piece, which was actually also in the Galactopedia, which we covered, you know, several, several months ago. So let's get into page five. A year in the verse. So some of this I'm going to read to you almost like our lore um, segment segments, I was going to say sections, most of our lore segments I end up just reading from the Galactopedia. For the most part, I'm going to be doing the exact same here. Um, I don't want to take away from the voice of the developer. I think there's a lot to capture here. If there's something worth responding to, I will of course respond to it. Um, but this is the voice of the developer. This is from their jump point, And I think it is important to just basically keep it as authentic as possible. So here we go. To the jump point. As the dust settles, it's clear that 2023 was one of, if not the biggest ever years for Star Citizen. From the turbulent release of Alpha 318 to the triumphant return of CitizenCon, it's been a packed year in and out of the verse. So to draw a line under this wild year in Welcome 2024, we're looking back over the past 12 months at some of the most significant releases and events. The infamous Alpha 318, my words, not the jump point. <laughs> Alpha 318 was actually right when we created the Beyond the Verse podcast. So in March, I believe the first airing published like March 19th. So since then, 9,000, over 9,000 listens, 39 episodes um, from a kind of an internal view. Like it's been an amazing year for Beyond the Verse, but we got started in the shit of it. Like, in the midst of probably one of the worst moments of Star Citizen, we started our podcast. Arguably gave us a lot of content to uh, discuss. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. But we got, uh, we got our feet dirty, our feet wet very quick. Back to the article. Alpha 318, Lasting Legacies on March 10th. 
following a point patch in January that added content for the Red Festival, Alpha 318 Lasting Legacies finally made it onto the live servers. Initially scheduled for the end of 2022, the patch was delayed by the addition of Persistent Entity Streaming, the most significant tech addition to the PU since Object Container Streaming. A huge step forward uh, are toward true in-game persistence and laying the foundation for the future of the verse. Persistent entity streaming fundamentally changes how items exist in the game world, allowing anything, including item ships and bodies, to remain long after players have logged out. Vital to next year's server meshing, Persistent Entity Streaming took a huge amount of work to integrate, and following its release, numerous point patches improved stability and gave the devs vital feedback on how the new tech was behaving and what was required to improve it. Alpha 318 also brought new content, including rivers, the first derelict settlements, the beginning of salvage gameplay, and a cargo refractor. It also saw the introduction of one of this year's most popular ships, the Drake Vulture, which almost cleaned up at Ship Showdown 2953. Almost. March 17th kicked off Stella Fortuna, and its content encouraged players to tip fate for the chance to win vehicles and exclusive paints. Break. So that Stella Fortuna was one of my first posts that went viral. Um, viral relative to Star Citizen social media. Um, we were going through the shit of 318. <laughs> no one was able to play. No one was able to log in. All the 30K, 60K, 90Ks, all the Ks were happening. Um, and they kicked off a marketing event like, hey, when you're in game, take a screenshot. <laughs> well, the problem was you couldn't get in game. So I made the comments on social media about being tone deaf. In that moment, the marketing team, um, you don't necessarily halt what you're doing because of a couple issues uh, that didn't really have a, a, a to, you know, to be determined completion date. Um, you don't really stop what you're doing. So like it, it's, it's understandable, but that was in the, the heat of the community just on fire. Right, so having the Stella Fortuna event was a little rough on on some of the perception. They go through a list of what came out in 318. Let's go through it quickly. So the persistent entity streaming in Gen 12 graphics renderer, sand caves and rivers, derelict settlements, security post, Korea missions, racetracks, hole scraping, which was the start of salvaging, soft death, cargo refractor, and the two ships were the RSI Scorpius Entrez, Entrez. I think that's supposed to be on Terra's. Might be a typo. Drake Vulture. And that Scorpius on Terra's um, was its own kind of drama, right? As you, the Scorpius was already an overpowered heavy fighter, put in a quantum dampener. Now it's, now it's very, very OP. So moving on. Shortly after that, on May 17th, we got Alpha 319, Call to Adventure. The theme of Spring's Alpha 319 patch was adventure, with a new Ghost Hollow outpost and related missions delivering a serious dose of action and excitement. Alongside a huge rework of Loreville's industrial cityscape and updates to salvage, the patch introduced updates to stability and persistent entity streaming, which would be an ongoing initiative throughout the year. 
New players were catered for two. Oh, good lord. New players were catered for two with the debut of the new player experience. That's definitely a typo. Now, fresh-faced citizens can follow an introductory mission from the minute they first enter the verse, including guidance on how to get around, use the Moby Glass, access and fly ships, and more. Mid-June saw the community team meet and socialize with citizens in all of CIG's home cities during their now annual International Bar Citizen Weekender, and Foundation Festival encouraged veteran players to support new recruits throughout July. In the list of items, Ghost Hollow, Component Salvage and Salvage Missions, Mining Gameplay Enhancements, Stability and Persistent Upgrades, New Player Experience, Loreville City Upgrade. And the ships. Yeah, the Mariah Fury. Uh, well, yeah, this is a flyable and non-flyable. So the Mariah Fury flyable, the Mariah Fury MX concept, the RSI Lynx, and the Tumbrel Storm concept. So this was, uh, I think most people take away uh, the Loreville, the Loreville cityscape. Not everybody was into the PvP Ghost Hollow, get into the whole griefing conversation. That's another podcast at another time. Um, so Ghost Hollow was great. It's awesome. You should go visit it, but know that it's a PvP haven. So enjoy that experience. Um but the salvaging missions, that was also uh, very exciting. The new player experience, that's also very exciting for those of you who are getting in. When I got in, what, two years ago, when I got in, there was nothing. I had Conniff, which was our episode one guest. I had Conniff kind of like show me the hows and the whys, um, but that was it. Like That was how you learn Star Citizen. Now there's a new player experience that's huge for the growth of the community, but I think the main takeaway for a lot of people was going and experiencing the updates to Loreville, knowing the future capabilities of cities and the rework that could be done. So very exciting there. We had Invictus launch week between May 19th and May 30th to the article. May 19th opened the doors to the annual Invictus launch week event. Alongside a ship convention showcasing the deadliest in-service and military-derived vehicles in the verse, the UEENs, or the United Empire Earth Navy's flagship Bengal supercarrier and fearsome Javelin destroyer, toured the system. Citizens could even tour the destroyer to get a glimpse of life aboard this iconic war machine. The event also saw an all-new vehicle brand from parent company MISC. Mirai entered the market with the tiny but ferocious Fury and the missile-focused Fury MX. And the Fury MX is very epic. Very epic. This ship showdown, August 7th through September 7th. Which, whatever. <laughs> Everybody knows how I feel about this year's uh, ship showdown and the popularity contest from uh, communities. To the article, the annual tournament of aerospace champions returned in early August. As usual, community submissions whittled down the game's 150 plus flyable and drivable vehicles to a top 16 and then battled it out head to head. We were genuinely surprised by some of the results. Me too. Including the faithful old Anvil Terrapin, gross, defeating last year's champ, the Anvil Carrick, and the Anvil Arrow, knocking out the Numerai Fury. 100% to all of it. I'm going to respond to that real quick, actually. So the Terrapin joke, that was more about being against the Anvil 
Carrick than it was for the Anvil Terrapin. There's no way and no measurable that a Terrapin is better than the Carrick, but the Carrick has won, I think it was three out of the five last best in shows or the only best in shows. So there was a lot of animosity against the Carrick. So let's put that conversation aside. The Anvil Arrow versus the Mariah Fury. I have no data to back this up. I just firmly believe no one wants to go through spawning a Mariah Fury and putting it into a ship to then travel that to your bounty, right? It's it's this loop that they've got to figure out, which they are with instance tangers and the persistent hangers. Like, they are. They're working on it. But the Anvil Arrow has a quantum drive. It is a lot easier to go from bounty to bounty to bounty to bounty with an Anvil Arrow than it is to figure out how the hell you're going to get a Mariah Fury to and from all the bounties. So I'm not saying it's wrong. It's a snub fighter. Snub fighters don't have quantum drives. Tracking. I, I get the why. But until they make it easier that you can nest a spawn within a spawn. Like I would love to say, you know what, I'm going to spawn... I'm going to spawn a M1 or, I don't know, let's say uh, a C2. I want to launch a C2 and I want three uh, three Furies to come with it. I, and I hit that in the kiosk and it spawns all four ships until they figure that piece out. Uh, it's going to be really hard to get behind the Mariah Fury. Back to the article. But the community spoke and ultimately crowned the Drake Corsair, its ship showdown champion of 2023. The Drake Vulture, Aegis Redeemer, and Origin 400i followed, with each finalist receiving a best in show livery later in the year at IAE, which was an amazing paint job. It was the purple one. Purple, blues, pinks. It was gorgeous. Alpha 320, fully loaded, September 20th. Alpha 320 made the live servers in September and brought with it the first of three huge Arena Commander updates. All new racing tracks, modes, maps, and features premiered in the biggest update to the all-action game module yet. However, Alpha 320 also brought about the demise of arguably the PU's most iconic location, Port Olisar. Port Olisar, the first space station every long-term player first woke up in, was replaced by Seraphim Station due to the OG station's legacy construction being unable to accommodate Star Citizen's upcoming features and tech. But all is not lost, as plans for Olasar's future are underway. I still want to know what's happening to Port Olasar. It's got to be great. It's got to be epic. Back to the article. To dull the pain, Alpha 320 premiered Criminal Salvage Missions, updated physicalized cargo for the flyable debut of the Misk Hole C, and introduced the LX Racing variant to the Mariah Fury, listing off the items. Arena Commander Racing, Arena Commander Combat, physicalized cargo updates, Criminal Salvage Missions, Seraphim Station, and the ships, the Misk Hole C, and the Mariah Fury LX. I'm going to go ahead and cough and take a sip real quick. Bear with me, guys. All right. Getting into October 10th through the 23rd. This is going to be uh, the F8C Lightning and a little bit of CitizenCon. CitizenCon was October 22nd and 23rd. All right. Darkwater, Anvil, F8C Lightning. Late in September, hushed conversations began around CIG Studios as the codenamed Project Darkwater came to fruition. The clandestine approach clearly worked. 
as the community and many CIG staff alike were surprised by the announcement that the Anvil F8C Lightning would be making its flyable debut in the PU. Previously only seen, and regularly stolen, <laughs> as part of the fleet supporting Invictus, the UEEN's prize fighter was instantly available to members of the Chairman's Club who already had one. However, that wasn't all, as a scavenger hunt of epic proportions began, with gold tickets being added to loot boxes that enabled any citizen to test, fly, and pledge for the iconic fighter. Over 60,000 gold tickets were uncovered during the event, with the same number of test flights taking place. Much rarer were the 75 platinum tickets. Guarded by devs in a variety of locations and vehicles, any player lucky or skilled enough to pull one from its protector's cold dead hands could turn it in for a free F8C, no questions asked. And this was an amazing marketing event. Now, there's two sides to this coin, however you want to look at it. I am a Praetorian Concierge member, I have an Executive Edition, and I still agree that this belongs in the hands of everybody. Don't care. Don't, I'm not entitled. I don't get special treatment for any reason, nor should anybody else. So let's, for the point of this podcast, let's scratch that and move it aside. The 75 Platinum Tickets that when you turn in and you get a free F8C, no questions asked, don't get your panties in a twist, right? Like if you beat Squadron 42, you will get your own F8C Lightning, no questions asked. Every single player in Star Citizen, theoretically, are going to have an F8C. How it rolled out and is it fair? Is it not fair? Like, I feel like I'm talking to my seven-year-old son. <laughs> like, fairness, right? Define fairness. At the end of the day, fast forward 10 years from now, everybody is going to have an F8C. Okay? So how they went about this or decisions made or how they talk about it, I I, I want to encourage... <laughs> I want to encourage us to kind of like move past it because it's it's kind of moot at this point. You were going to get it within the next couple of years anyways. Squadron 42 is going to be out next year. So when you beat it in a week, which I know some of you are going to race and do, you will have yourself an F8C. I loved the marketing though. If you think about what they were able to accomplish to the marketing event, um, out of game and in game, that should excite you. That piece should excite you. That they're trying new things. They're trying out ways um, to engage with the community. Again, whether you're in-game or out-of-game. And this was a phenomenal way, in my opinion. This was a phenomenal way for them to do it. So I applaud it. I, I love everything about it. I want to encourage the CIG marketing team to continue to pursue similar events. You can go check out earlier podcasts to hear more. <laughs> All right, October 19th, Alpha 321. This was right before CitizenCon. So actually, this was like the day most of us were traveling to CitizenCon. Alpha 321 up the risk and reward with some of the most dangerous missions Stanton has seen so far. Whether stealing evidence from the already hectic security post Korea or heading deep underground to retrieve consignments, players victorious 
players victorious over these demanding missions would walk away well paid for their troubles. The patch added new platforms to Orison, well away from the main city, making accessing the Repel Raid mission simpler, though not necessarily easier due to the turret fire. Multiple instances of the mission can now run simultaneously, opening up the action for several groups of players at once. The all-new preview channel was also added to the public test universe, giving players the opportunity to help experience upcoming features before they're added to the live servers. Specially designed to test in development tech, it debuted with the replication layer split, and would later be used to showcase the Pyro Playground demo unveiled at CitizenCon. Listing out the bullet points, still evidence missions, security post Korea, retrieve consignment, underground facilities, repel raid, new crusader platforms, and preview channel in public test universe. The ships, the crusader A1 spirit. Not a lot to add to this one. I just remember not being able to touch this until I got back from CitizenCon. <laughs> so as much as I was excited to be at CitizenCon and obviously get into the uh, the preview channel to play Pyro, all of that, which I would never trade in a million years, uh, Patch 321 was live and going you know behind the scenes. So it was a little bit like a frustration, uh, though that frustration went away immediately when I got into you know, Los Angeles. So... <laughs> So there's that. Here we go. CitizenCon, October 21st through 22nd. And I will remind my listeners that basically back since like June or July, I had predicted two things to happen, you know, this year. And I was right on both. So I said that Pyro was going to be playable before the end of the year. And it was. Anybody at CitizenCon could play it. Uh, and the preview channel, a lot of people were able to play it. Pyro was playable before the end of the year. I didn't say it would release. I said it would be playable. And then I said we would get a launch date for Squadron 42. And we basically did. When you say that it is in a polished phase, and I've said this several times on other episodes, when you say that a video game is entering polishing stage then it's done with the creation. All the legwork, the the fundamentals, the foundation of the game is done. It, it's done. They're literally going back and doing exactly that. They're polishing. They're making sure things are working right. They're testing. We're maybe six months out, right? Like it usually takes up to a year, but we had already heard that it was in polish phase at CitizenCon back in October. So you've had October, November, December. We've already had three months of polishing. It's very feasible that next CitizenCon, we will have Squadron 42. So I'm going to mark us as right both times. I also predicted some other things, but th those are like less like lower hanging fruit. Like I, I predicted the F8C. I predicted the patch release of 322 on Thursday. Like that was a really exciting <laughs> moment for me because I'm like, damn, no intel. I, I'm going to give up. Sorry, guys. I lied. Literally 30 minutes later, they released patch 322. So that was awesome. But um, continue listening to Beyond the Verse podcast because I base all of my prediction on industry experience and what we're reading in these notes. We've been right at every corner so far. All right, to the article, CitizenCon. 
<laughs> After four long years away, October 21st saw the return of an in-person citizen con with almost 3,000 citizens heading to the Los Angeles Convention, California and USA. This time, it was a two-day extravaganza of all things Star Citizen with fascinating presentations on upcoming locations, vehicles, tech, characters, and more. Attendees also got to take their first trips out of Stanton with the Pyro Playground demo, giving citizens a whirlwind tour of the lawless system and its beautiful yet unforgiving environments. Included in the many surprises was the unveiling of the all-new RSI Zeus Mark II concepts, a thoroughly contemporary take on one of Star Citizen lore's most important vehicles. The original Zeus was the first ship to make quantum travel commercially available, revolutionizing the way humanity explored space. Though it has big boots to fill, with combat cargo and exploration variants, the Zeus Mark II will certainly do its best when it enters the verse. The event also gave players the deepest ever look into the ongoing development of the engine behind the Persistent Universe and Squadron 42. The future of gaming Star Engine showcased much anticipated features coming next year. Coming next year? and unveiled game-defining tech that will change the verse forever. All the presentations from this year's event can be watched now on the CitizenCon 2953 playlist on the Star Citizen YouTube channel. To top it all off, a huge announcement by Chris Roberts closed out the event. Squadron 42 is now feature complete and in the polishing phase. This included the I Held the Line campaign preview, a stunning showcase, and the biggest reveal of the game's campaign to date. Community reactions to the trailer were hugely appreciated across all CIG studios, particularly by the many devs who have worked incredibly hard on Squadron 42 over the past few years. Your excitement is mirrored in the studios, and we can't wait to show you more in 2024. As well as the ship's Crusader A1 Spirit, Drake Cutter Scout, and the RSI Zeus concept. Moving on, as we're kind of getting close to the end of the podcast, I want to make sure we hit the last couple of months, and then we'll wrap this up. November 17th through 30th, we had IAE. The biggest vehicle show in the Empire returned on November 17th through November 30th. Each day, the universe's best-known vehicle manufacturers took over Bevet Convention Center in New Babbage, Microtech, to give citizens the opportunity to see and try out their products. The event saw the unveiling of two all-new ships, the straight-to-flyable Gaddix Sulin, alien starter ship, and the RSI Arastra, mining concept, while the previously announced Crusader A1 Spirit, Temporal Storm, and Argo SRV made their flyable debuts. With Whitley's guide on an indefinite hiatus, and its host still unaccounted for, <laughs> the official IAE event program kept visitors informed that that the ooh, lord kept visitors informed about the goings on around the show check it out now for all the news from the event along with the all new content from security pro garmin humble influencer molly drake ceo and andin arden private medic suli blanzini whitley's guides jimmy and much more i don't know why that was so hard for me to read <laughs> The ships, the Gaddix Sulin, Crusader C1 Spirit, Argo SRV, Tumbrel Storm, Tumbrel Storm Alpha Alpha, which was in concept, and the RSI Arastra, also in concept. Last but not least, Alpha 322 Rex to Riches. This was December 14th or 16 days ago. Closing out the year was Alpha 322 Rex to Riches, a collection of content and features to keep players adventuring well into 2024. 
One of the main additions is 15 derelict settlements scattered across the system. Some are entirely abandoned, some are small-scale commercial hubs, and others are home to hostile gangs that aren't open to visitors. These new locations are the work of CIG's newest development team in Montreal, with many more to come next year, including the brand new distribution centers shown at CitizenCon. Helping players explore, and potentially escape from, these new planetary locations is the Origin X1 series. Three open canopy bikes with a laser focus on speed and agility, structural salvage, new character customization options, personal cargo crates, and the next big update to Arena Commander also rounded out the year. Let's list off the items. Structural salvage, derelict settlements, reworked hairstyles, game master events, jump town global event, secured cargo crates, arena commander update, and the ships, the Opoa Santok Yai, the Origin X1 series, and the Drake Cutter Rambler. There are more pages to this uh, a year in the verse from Jump Point. It covers the Bar Citizen World Tours, uh, a couple of other dates there, but then it goes straight into the behind the scenes for the Drake Cutter series. I think this is a great stopping point. Um, what a phenomenal year. And, and, and let me just go, let me back out and let me go to our podcast first. I want to thank every single one of you. Our numbers are through the roof. Again, over 9,000 listens, 355 subscribers on YouTube. Um, we hit 1,111, beautiful number, <laughs> um, on Twitter followers. Our community is growing. Soul Provision, our in-game organization, is over 38 members um, that 15 are regularly active and doing things within the verse. It has been a great, great year, not only for me, and I'll take myself out of this conversation, but for the community that we're building, what I call like hashtag star citizen fam, this idea of a community within a community that's growing and thriving because of like-minded individuals based off of a good culture, right? Um, I want to say thank you to every single one of you who, who pushed play, who continued to listen. Um, from the ups and the downs, I think there was like four or five episodes where I couldn't get a freaking sentence out. I was coughing through everything and dying in the process um, all the way to the interviews. I had six hosts um, on to include Galactica, right? Social media manager for CIG. It's been a phenomenal, phenomenal year. And again, looking at CIG, what we just covered for the past hour uh, or so, there's been a lot more released in this game in one year than most games in a, in a single year. And this is a game that's quote unquote still an alpha that is quote unquote a scam, right? Some of these things aren't adding up. <laughs> I, I think I think we have more data this year, more information this year than we've ever had to be excited about this project, both Star Citizen and Squadron 42. So with that, I hope this finds everybody well. If you would like to join our in-game organization, Soul Provision, you can do so by going to www.robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash provision. And please join the Discord in that same process. Like we have a lot of people that have joined on the website but haven't joined our Discord yet and we do all our coordinating um, through Discord. So make sure you join the Discord as well. 
If you're interested in following the conversation or becoming part of the conversation, email us at contact at beyondtheversehq.com or join our socials and it's forward slash uh, forward slash BTV underscore cast on all social media platforms. Again, I hope this finds you well. Safe travels as you traverse beyond the verse. Happy New Year, everybody. Blessings in 2024.